This is Can I Laugh on Your Shoulder. Hey, welcome to Can I Laugh on Your Shoulder. I'm Molly Stillman, and this is a podcast where I get to sit down with a different guest each week and have raw, funny, often brutally honest conversations about the things that matter most, faith, business, life, and everything in between, where we each learn how to be good stewards of the things we've been entrusted with, even our stories, and how we can use those things to serve others and leave our families, our friendships, and our communities a little better than we found them. I want to create a space where people are unafraid to be themselves and unafraid to ask the questions the rest of us are thinking. My goal is to make you laugh, cry, and laugh till you cry. My guest this week is Ines Franklin. She currently serves as a teaching pastor at Mariner's Church in Southern California. She has her Master of Divinity from Fuller Theological Seminary, and she's the founder of Trochia Ministries, whose mission is to provide Christian discipleship. She is the author of the new book, Uncharted, Navigating Your Unique Journey of Faith. Every faith journey is unique, and it's a beautiful and at times frightening mystery fully known only to our creator. This book offers lessons learned from Ines's own courageous journey of faith, providing healing and hope to those finding their way or doubting their path. Let me tell you, in today's conversation, Ines and I go deep. We really get to the heart of our own unique faith journeys. Her testimony is incredibly powerful. You are going to be blown away by her story. And you're just going to fall in love with her because she's also just a lot of fun. So without further ado, let's get to my chat with Ines Franklin. Ines, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. I could not be more excited to have you. Well, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I already feel this like connection to you. I just, uh, you oh. just have this, this <laughs> smile that lights up the screen. Um, I wish we were together in person. Um, but then when I saw that you are on staff at Mariners church, um, I love Mariners and it's actually, it's funny. One of my really good friends, um, from my Bible study here in North Carolina, they just moved here from California a few years ago and they attended Mariners. And, um, oh, so I, I just feel that. this like, you know, it's like, Hey, I know somebody that went to your church home for a while. I realize it's a big church, but still, <laughs> Um, so it's just, I'm so excited for you to be here and let's have you dive right in and give us the Ines 101. So who you are, what you do and how you got to where you are today. Okay. Well, thank you. First of all, yes, I am a teaching pastor at Mariner's Church. I've been doing that for quite a few years, gosh, since 2010. Um, so 13 years now, and I get to teach on Sunday mornings, uh, now in English and in Spanish, which awesome. is so fun and hard because just that gives you a little bit background of where I'm from. I'm from Puerto Rico, born and raised there and came to California when I was 16. So English is my second language. Mm -hmm. And however, God unearthed my Spanish uh, not too long ago, and I got invited to teach in Spanish. So I'm doing both. On, on Sundays. In fact, this Sunday coming up, I'm teaching three services in English and then the next service is in Spanish. Wow. And yeah, so that's a whole process. And then I also teach uh, discipleship courses that, that I have written for the church and work on some other projects with them and other kinds of services. I do liturgical services like Ash Wednesday and things like that, um, Good Friday and such. 
So that's part of my work at Mariners. I also have an online ministry, which is a discipleship ministry called Trochia Ministries. And that's just my effort to put out solid content for people who are wanting to grow in their faith and whether it's podcasting, blogs, things like that. And so I have a whole ministry that I work with that. And then um, my husband and I own real estate. So one other hat that I wear is the CFO hat for our real estate business. And so sometimes I go from a creative writing and doing these things to like accounting (laughs) (laughs) and property management and and really like, ah, so different. So uh, we have a blended family. My husband and I have five children. When we got married 20 years ago, he came with his two daughters. I came with my son and two daughters and they're married and we have nine grandchildren and a new one on the way. Oh my goodness. Um, My daughter is just eight weeks pregnant. So exciting. And so we'll have 10 grandchildren here soon, the Lord willing. And we live in California and I have a sweet, sweet puppy named Noel, who's (laughs) almost 13. Oh man, (laughs) I don't know what's going to happen when Noel passes. I don't think I could ever have another pet. Uh, She's amazing. So yeah, that's a little bit about me. So thank you for- (laughs) I love it. Um, Okay. So- Let's, I mean, obviously, we're going to dive into talking about your book, Uncharted, Navigating Your Unique Journey of Faith. But I want to go back because, well, one, just quick side note comment. So I sometimes get the opportunity to also teach at my church. I cannot imagine writing a sermon or a message in both English and Spanish. (laughs) Like that just (laughs) overwhelms me. It's hard enough writing one in one language, let alone two. I so I just have to ask, like, what is that process like? Are you writing when you're going to be speaking in both Spanish and English? Are you writing it simultaneously or do you write it in one language first and then translate it? What do you do? Yes. So I, I am writing it in English. And then I I actually now use chat GPT to translate it. Oh, my and goodness. it does a fantastic job. Wow. Um, Right. And so I I put the entire English sermon on there and say, please translate in Spanish. And then what I do is I read it and I edit it, of course, because it's not perfect, but it's actually really well done. And I might ask for, uh, I've I've done this only once. This is my second sermon that I'm doing that with. Because yes, before I translated myself using Google or some other uh, app. Yeah. But now... I will say, give me another word for this, because sometimes it gives me words in Spanish I don't know. Mm. And so I might say, is there another word for it? And then I recognize that word or no, I better learn that word. Yeah. (laughs) So my sermon has these bright red words that I mark as on my notes as a new word that I need to learn. And the last sermon that I taught had about 15 new Spanish words that I had to learn. Wow. Because I was 16 when I came to California and I was not a believer. So now, you know, at my age, going back and learning biblical words, Christianese language in Spanish uh, is is a whole new experience. Uh, In addition to learning a more mature English, right? Because I was only 16 when I came to the U.S. Um, And so... I'm learning. And what's really fun is I tell the congregation and they love it that, hey, I'm relearning my Spanish, you know, in the same way that they're trying to learn English, Mm -hmm. right? Because they live here in California. And so they have a lot of compassion for me. I will say, como se dice, you know, I'll say something or I'll say it wrong and they'll yell at me to tell me to say it right. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have a very, of a talk back Spanish congregation? (laughs) 
So it's a talk back and forth and we have fun. And I get about, I would say I get about mm, 95% of the words right. And 5% I don't. And they're really sweet and graceful and kind. And we get to interact with one another uh, over the language. And they understand, I understand their pain and they understand mine. So we feel very connected. Oh, that's so awesome. I love that so much. Uh, Okay. So, and I speak very, Mm, not great Spanish, but I can get a, I can get by. So like, I, okay. I mean, I've spoken Spanish for, you know, I took Spanish in high school and then I grew, but I grew up actually in an area that was, had a very high population of Spanish speakers. You know, I went to a lot of quinceañeras when I was in high school, <laughs> a lot, you know? So, uh, and I mean, that was just the, the culture I was raised in. I was, you know, it was just a kind of majority global majority area, if that makes sense. And so I've, you know, I took Spanish in high school and then took it some in college. And then now I do Duolingo every day, (laughs) which is always funny because, um, and I've been doing that for like, I don't know, three or four years. So I do it, you know, 10, 15 minutes a day. And I try to practice when I'm out and about. Um, but it's funny because then sometimes like the sentences that Duolingo will give you, I'm like, when would I ever say that? Like, that doesn't make any sense at all. Like, I don't understand. Like, why am I talking about the horse ordering fast food? Like, I don't understand. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I love, I mean, I love learning languages. I think, um, I think it is such a beautiful picture of God's diversity. I'm fascinated by linguistics. I'm fascinated by different cultures. And uh, so to know that that's something that you're doing, and I love how you talk about how, I mean, you know, Spanish is your first language, but that's so interesting to hear. Oh, well, there's words in Spanish that you're like, I don't know that word. And I guess I'm like, yeah, I guess there are words I come across in English. I'm like, what the heck is that word? I've never heard that word before. It's the same thing. Um, Exactly. But so beautiful how the congregation just interacts with you in that. And they're like, no, no, Ines, that's not how you say it. Exactly. (laughs) Wait, no, no, no. And I have someone who sits really close forward. Yeah. So she is wonderful. She kind of like lets me know really quickly of um, and you know, you got to remember in, there's so many dialects of Spanish. Oh, yeah. So I'm Puerto Rican, and I'm speaking to a primarily Mexican South American um, audience, and so they have different words for different things mm. and or emphasize different words. And so sometimes it's not that I said the word wrong. But I may have said a word that's unfamiliar to them mm. because, you know, it's not culturally they're not using that word in their their um, dialect. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then you have the same thing in English when you when you bring in like yeah. Australians and people from different parts yes. of the UK and Canada. Exactly. Uh, anyway. OK, I love that. I could talk about this all day, but we'll, <laughs> we'll move on. Um, well, OK, so but let's talk about you know, growing up, what brought you to the U.S. and what was your childhood like? And you said that when you came to the U.S., you weren't a believer. So what was your, and I know that this is a big part of your story in your book, you know, what was your faith journey like and and your childhood like and what led you here? Yes. So I was born and raised in Puerto Rico and raised by a single mom. Um, I'm number six of seven children. Wow. And we grew up in the mountains of Puerto Rico and in quite a bit of poverty, like deep poverty, a lot of government assistance, uh, a lot of support from family members in order for us to make ends meet. Obviously, a single mom with seven kids. I I don't even know how my mom did it. It blows my mind. But my grandmother, my abuelita, watched over us quite a bit, Mm. uh, specifically in the area of faith. 
my mom had rejected the, the church. She had her own personal relationship with God. And so she just did, had no interest in going to church. She's like, oh, there's a bunch of hypocrites. You know, they act nice in church and then they're mean the minute they walk outside and mm. start gossiping. She wanted nothing to do with it. So my grandmother, she took us to church. And uh, that's really where I started to have an experience about God. In fact, she took us to the Roman Catholic Church and they have a catechism where you learn about God and all that. And at a young age, I found out about God. Mm. But in my book, I share a very personal experience I had with God where I, I wanted to go to heaven. I heard about heaven and I wanted to go to heaven right away. And I look back and I think, man, at seven years old, really, you know, I almost took my life. I climbed the roof of my house to to go to heaven and then wow. God stopped me. And this understanding that this world is hard and that life is hard and that I was already dealing with enough trauma at that age that I wanted out of this. And to me, when I heard about heaven, it sounded so amazing. Mm. I was like, let's go now while we're all hanging here. Wow. But so I had this experience where I, I heard the voice of God and then I heard God saying to me that I didn't get to choose when to go to heaven, that that was his choice alone, and that I needed to endure, that he would be with me, and that he had a purpose for my life. And at that young age, that was such a crazy experience. I didn't tell anyone. I was terrified to you know, sit, tell somebody, I heard the voice of God. I mean, I just think, they would send me to insane, an insane asylum. You know, that was mm -hmm. it. Ines has gone crazy. Yeah. And I didn't tell anybody. Mm -hmm. However, that kind of also led me to this sort of weird relationship with God, knowing he existed, but not understanding him. Yeah. And I don't remember a single lesson after my second lesson of catechism. I don't know <laughs> what they taught me. I'm sure there were stuff. <laughs> I don't remember anything. All I, I thought was like, I don't understand this God. And so... After um, a few years, my um, my abuelita stopped taking us to church, and then we moved to California. We first moved to New York, back to Puerto Rico, and in all that gyration, no church whatsoever, no no religious, no faith, nothing. And then when we came to California, I went to a Presbyterian church once by myself, thinking maybe I should find a church, but didn't have any interest. And so, really, I did not go back to a faith until. Uh, my kids were a little older and I got a little nervous about their future and took them to a Catholic church so they can take catechism themselves because I didn't, I wanted to be baptized. I wanted them to go to heaven. You know, this is my Catholic upbringing yeah. and went to church just long enough for them to, to do that process, which I think was just a couple months. And then that was that I didn't go to church again, had no relationship with God or Jesus whatsoever. Never read the Bible until I was 40. Wow. And what, what got me to church was that I, you know, having grown up with a little bit of understanding of God and having grown up with a lot of pain and struggle, I wanted to be that person that overcame that um, was that I wasn't going to be poor again. I was going to work really hard and never be poor. Um, I, I was going to be a good person. And I thought I could do it on my own terms. Yeah, I took life on my own terms. And by the time I was 40, I had been divorced twice. At the time, my son, who really struggled with so many things, uh, ended up starting using drugs. So he was in a deep season of drug addiction. And I got into an affair with my boss. Mm. And not only that, at a young age, 18, it was 18 and maybe 22, I had two abortions. Mm. And 
I remember when I entered into the affair with my boss and I looked at my life and I looked back, you know, at that time I was 39 and I looked back at my life and I thought, what a mess. Hmm. What a mess. So much for, you know, reaching success, so much for trying to be a good person, so much for, you know, kind of make a better life for myself and my kids. And I was absolutely distraught at the time. And at that time, you know, the man I was with said, uh, who now is my husband, we've been married 20 years, uh, we were going to get married. And he said, you know, we should go to church. And it was a sort of a side statement like that. Yeah. And I think we were even driving. It was a total random thought. And we ended up going to, um, decided, yes, we'll go to churches. We Googled churches mm-hmm. around the place where we were going to li- live. And we went to a different church every Sunday. None of them felt right. We just kept thinking any minute now, people are going to look, hear about our story, look at my rap sheet and go, yeah, no, you don't belong here. We knew for sure the Catholic church would not have us, but we looked at other churches and on October 20th, 2002, we walked into Mariner's Church. Wow. Our last church on the list, because it was a big church and that seemed very intimidating. And the pastor was teaching on John chapter four about a woman who had been married multiple times hmm. and at the time was living with a man who is not her husband. And that was me. And I remember thinking, okay, I think we can stay here. Wow. And that just began a journey. I started reading the Bible for the first time the following year, really felt deeply convicted of my sin. It's one thing to say, oh man, I kind of blew it. I made some mistakes in my life. But another to be convicted of like the offense against God for the actions that I took in my life, specifically, of course, with the abortions and, you know, just me leaving people when things got hard, you know? And just having a sense of like the selfishness that I was living by and understanding the, the gravity of that. And when I became convicted of that, I, I remember just literally falling on the ground face down, mm. asking God, my God, is there, is there a way you can find to forgive me? I, I was in the Old Testament. In fact, I was in Deuteronomy. I had a long way to go before I got to the New Testament, to the gospel and the good news of Jesus. So there I was in the Old Testament grieving my sin. And I, it took me months to get to the New Testament and really understand what Jesus came to do for me. Um, and then years to overcome the shame of the choices that I made. Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't go overnight. Mm-mm. Even though Jesus saves us instantly, it doesn't go overnight. So that's how my journey of faith yeah. happened. And what's really amazing, really, I, I still can't believe how kind graceful, merciful God is that here I am 20 years later. And for a big big portion of those 20 years, 13 years, I've been teaching at Mariner's Church and sharing the gospel with others. And it doesn't escape me that that's a, that's a pretty crazy story, (laughs) what God can do. So, wow. Well, what a powerful, I know I just dumped a lot at you there. No, this is, this is perfect. Um, you, what a powerful testimony. And, you know, there's obviously a lot of pieces of your story that I was really struck by and encouraged by. Um, but one of the things that just immediately stuck out to me, and I feel like not to, to pull that, like, I feel like this was for someone, but I feel like it was for someone that is listening because I have a lot of, I mean, I have a wide age range of people who listen to this show, but there's a lot kind of in those late thirties, early forties, And 
there is almost this, not almost, there's this expectation, I feel like that society kind of places on us. And I don't know what I, I, I can't necessarily pinpoint, oh, it's, you know, social media, or it's the news media, or it's magazines, or whatever it is, there's just this societal expectation that your late 30s, your early 40s, you've kind of got it figured out, like you you're settling into a career, you're married, you have kids, you're, you know, yada, yada, yada. And especially, I mean, getting saved later in life. And, you know, oh, because I got saved at 25. And I, I didn't, you know, really walk with the Lord. I didn't walk with the Lord at all prior to the age of 25. You know, and so, so I think that there's, there's this, like I said, this expectation that by, you know, your late thirties, your early forties, you've kind of got it quote unquote figured out. You're Figure settled out. into those things. <laughs> and your story, I think in such a powerful way illustrates that you, you don't, well, one, we never have it figured out, but two, like you're never too late <laughs> to start something because, and here's a couple of things just that I know about you is, you know, when you know you were 40 going into that church and and you were walking through these really difficult things but here you are now you're you've been married for 20 years you've 60 you know, i mean you're <laughs> i mean you look amazing for 60 by the way i'm just going to i want to be you when <laughs> i grow you. up okay what skincare regimen we're going to do a separate <laughs> podcast on your skincare regimen all right your hair is amazing okay anyway <laughs> y'all listening i realize you can't see her but she is fabulous um oh, so <laughs> but, sweet you know there's that and then uh but just that i know that you've gone to seminary and that you know that's something that i have written on my prayer wall is i have a a, a prayer and a dream to go to seminary someday um i've taken you know a seminary class online here and there but i've had this inner struggle of like i'm you know i'm almost 38 like i've got kids. I mean, that seems really selfish and expensive. Like, why would I go to seminary? Like, is that where, you know what I mean? But just to hear your story of it's never too late. It's never too late to do these right. things. And it's never too late to come to Christ. And I, I love hearing stories, especially about people getting saved later in life. I think that's so in, in, um, powerful. Anyway, all that to say is that is just one of the things about your story that really struck me um, mm. is, is just where you were in life when you came to know the Lord and what a powerful testimony to, you know, going to church, walking into Mariners and hearing a sermon on the woman at the well. I mean, just like that's something not an accident in nope, any way, nope. shape or form. So like you said, you know, when you you began that slow, you know, that fancy churchy word, the process of sanctification, slow but sure. What were the I, I'm curious for you, you hear that message what are the next few weeks and months looking like as you begin to realize, hey, this is like some changes need to happen in my life? Yes. I, and I do think when you get saved at 40 or anytime later than, I would say anytime later than 20. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's it's something pretty big that happens. Right. Right. It's either some crises or just in my case, moral failure. Uh, it might be this sense of emptiness, like, okay, is this it? You know, I, I need something more. Yeah. And you realize like, hey, there's something, nothing can can deal with the hole in my heart. And so for some people, it might just be the lack of awareness. Suddenly they become aware that there is a God and Jesus and all that good stuff. That's the best way to become a believer later in life. But for me, it was a crash. You know, it was my life crashed. I hit the end of my rope. When you get there, 
I was so desperate for life again. I felt like I, I didn't know how to make any good decision anymore because I thought every decision I had made in the past led me to a poor outcome and I needed a new way. Mm. And so I was so hungry for a new way. When I heard that story, I remember the pastor shared the gospel. I had never heard the gospel before. And he, he presented, I have the outline still, and he presented uh, like we're here on one side and there's a ravine and God is on the other side and you can't make it across where not for the cross. I don't know if you've seen that. No. Um, uh, so it's a, I have the drawing. So it's this idea of like, you can't jump this divide between you and God on your own effort. God is the one who bridges the that divide through Jesus on the cross so that our relationship with God is restored. And I, I heard that, but it took me so long for that to become a reality in my brain. So we just kept coming to church, you know, yeah. every Sunday we would come and hear another message. And like, like I said, the following year, so we came in October, end of October, beginning of the year, they were uh, doing a Bible reading plan. So I'd never read the Bible. I thought, oh, I'll give it a try. And I quickly fell behind as we do, right? We, we start, yes, I'm going to start, you know, the beginning of the year. And sure enough, you know, within a month, I was, I had already skipped some days and got behind and I had left it on my table. And so I wasn't reading it. And I had a bike accident and broke my clavicle. Oh, and my I was goodness. in bed, not fun. And I was in bed and I thought, Hey, there's the Bible. I, I haven't read it. So let me let me get back to reading it. It's almost like God so, was like, I'm going to take her out so that she has no yeah. option. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I actually fell on a Sunday that we skipped church. That was the one time we skipped church and I fell. It was so funny. Yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> so hilarious. I read the Bible and through. And so it's, it's through reading scripture that I started to see like, oh, my life has to change. I need it not only did I already know it, but it became even more clear. Yeah. And so it, it was a journey. It was a journey of discipleship by others who were discipling us, who took us on. And uh, a man took uh, my husband and really worked with him and couples ministered to us. And then just, just being there and being open to what God was saying to our lives. Very quickly, I would say within... Gosh, maybe about six months, we started serving mm. at the church. And at the, at the first time I served, I was cleaning windowsills at the children's building. It was a brand new building. And they asked people to come and help prepare the building. And that was the task I was given. I, mean, I stood in line and they were giving people tasks. And when I got up there, they said, okay, here's a bucket and some rags. And would you please clean the windowsills? Because the contractor left them kind of dirty. I remember thinking at that moment, what? I look Latina or something, and you're seeing that, like I can clean a house. Okay, okay, mija. Okay, I entiendo. You know? I get so upset. And then I'm cleaning windowsills, and I felt like the Lord was saying, if you cannot serve me with a task like this, you, you can't not serve me with anything mm. else. Your heart is not right. So I really felt the Lord um, it constantly discipling me through all of these experiences. And so, yeah, it took years to overcome shame. When I felt called to write and to teach was only two years after I became a believer. Wow. And frankly, that made no sense because I felt like, what? I haven't even finished reading the Bible. 
I had skipped some of the minor profits because, you know, how much can you take, you know, these profits? <laughs> I know when you get into like Nahum and Habakkuk and Obadiah, oh, like, it's just we're like, done. you're like, I, is this all the same? I think it's all the same thing. Like, I think yeah, we're just saying I the got same through thing. Jeremiah. I cried with him. And like, I can't take this anymore. <laughs> I cried it's with like, him. <laughs> That's a very niche, a niche joke. And I love it. Okay. Sorry. Uh, yeah. So anyway, I, you know, I had not read through the whole Bible. So I thought, God, that makes no sense. So I, yeah. I ignored that thought. But you know, when God puts something in your heart, it doesn't go away. Yeah. Like you say, it's like on that wall. And it's like looking at you and saying, mm-hmm. hey, I'm over here. Yeah. And that was what eventually got me to seminary. And what's so funny is the very first class that I went to seminary, it was a night class. I walked out and I sobbed thinking, Mm -hmm. I have lost my mind. I'm now 40 years old. No, at the time I was 42 when I started seminary. And what am I doing? I've got a kid in high school, two kids in high school. My life is so busy. What am I doing in seminary? But only God, Mm. only God. Wow. So what a powerful, powerful testimony. And just again, like that encouragement for people that it's it's never too late. And I really mm-hmm. loved the way that you said too, is just like, yeah, a lot, especially when you get saved after 20, there's a couple of things there. I mean, one, it's usually, for the most part, people that I talk to that get saved at an older age or rededicate their life, like maybe they went to church as a yeah. really walked away. It's usually because something happened. Like something there's, happened. Yep. there's really not a whole lot of just like, you know what? They woke up one day and was like, I think I'm going to go to church. Like it's usually a moment of desperation. It certainly was for me, you know, things like that. And, um, and the first time I'd gone to church, it was the first time I'd ever heard the gospel and it was just, oh. you know, brought to my knees. And, oh, um, that. but the other thing too, that, you know, is it really when you get saved at an older age, it challenges you to some stuff in your life has to change. Some sacrifices have to be made because you, you know, when you get into adulthood, you've got the things you like to do, the thing, the people you like to hang out with your routines, maybe your vices that, you know, have a a grip on you, whether it's, you know, how you spend your money or how you spend your Friday nights or who you spend your Friday nights with things like that. And so some things probably have to change and that's not easy. Um, no, it was really hard for me. And, you know, so it takes, yeah, it takes sacrifice, but as we know, I mean, the Bible says, you know, to take up your cross and to follow me. And sometimes you got to take up that cross and take it, picking up that cross sometimes is real heavy and it is really difficult. And, Wow. So that's very insightful. Yeah. That's very insightful because it's true. Yeah. And I do think like, I remember, for example, even the clothes I wear. Yes. Uh, how, yes. how I dress. Yes. Thinking, oh, I, I shouldn't dress like this anymore. It's right. very provocative, you know? And so I had to change, change that. And I, one day I remember thinking, man, this Christian stuff is hard. Yes. Well, <laughs> and for me, it was uh, for a big part of, I mean, it was a lot for me, but language. Uh, yes. I used to cuss like a sailor. <laughs> like it was, I mean, I grew up the, the daughter. Oh, I get of, you, girl. I, I get know. You. I grew up the daughter of two recovering alcoholic <laughs> Irish Catholics. So there was a lot of F-bombs dropped in my house as a kid. And so, and then I also was in the comedy world. I was, you know, I was doing improv and sketch comedy, which is just, you know, filled with language. And I'm not going to sit here and say that I don't occasionally stub my toe and drop a bad word. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> um, but you I know, understand. and I go, oh, oops, sorry, Lord. <laughs> my bad. I may or may not have done it last week when I noticed that the gate on my front porch was open and my goats came up on my porch and ate all of my flowers again. And I was real mad. Oh, and I was like, oh, and oh then I, that's I, that's a drop. I may have may, may not have dropped a bad word in front of my kids. <laughs> my kids oh my and i was God. like whoops sorry and my daughter who's nine looks at me and she was like it's okay mom that that kind of warranted it i was like i'm sorry sorry anyway but like things like that changing your speaking habits your language habits and it's yeah. it's it's hard yes it is it is hard and you know what's funny and the longer you are on that journey the more you realize like i didn't need those things right yes. like there's a yes right so, but at the time it feels like you're leaving so much, We're leaving friends. I don't want to make sound being a believer is this drag. No, you know, no, no, that, no, no, oh, no, no. Look no. at all the things we leave. Um, these are really good, healthy changes because yes. all those ways that I was living was causing the result I didn't want. And so I wanted a better result. And that meant I had to make some changes. And I think that's the same thing with everything, right? You want to lose weight, you got to eat differently, right? And that takes effort. It takes diligence. You you want to go to school, right? You've got to study. You got to write. You got to yep. you know read. You know anything that requires a, a life change requires a great deal of effort. And yeah, the older you get, the harder it is because there's such deep seated rhythms and mindsets and yeah. habits that yeah, God has to do a lot. And God, you know, for example, I grew up with a very critical mom, mm. and I naturally took on that quality. So I am I was hypercritical. And so not a grateful heart. And I wanted a grateful heart as I was reading scripture and learning about generosity. It's like, I wanted a grateful heart, but man, I was not grateful. Mm. I put a sticky on my mirror where I was getting ready every morning with a prayer. Lord, give me a grateful heart. It was that simple. And I prayed that prayer for a whole year. And I'm telling you, it took at least nine months before I started to see a change. Mm. And I was praying that prayer every morning when I was getting brushing my teeth. Okay, Lord, give me a grateful heart. Lord, give me a grateful heart. It took a long time because I had such a deep, and I still from time to time find myself like back to that hypercritical mindset, mm. just like you throw the word here and there. And I do too, by the way, because I lived in, in the Bronx for a year and a half. <laughs> That's where I learned my oh, basic yeah. English and I learned the F-bomb first. And so that one stuck. And yeah. it, it now, by the way, my strategy now, when whenever it comes out, because it does, is I say the Lord's Prayer mm. immediately. So as soon as it comes out, I just start praying the Lord's Prayer. And it, it, it helps me in two ways. One is to rewire my brain. But secondly, to give myself grace. Yeah. To remember, I'm still under grace. I'm still under grace. Yeah. You know, not that, again, not that foul language does anything to our salvation. Yes. Yes. But it's just, I want to express myself in a different way. Yeah. I want to be edifying. I don't want, I don't want that to be my language. And so I want the Lord to change that in my heart, but look at, I've been a Christian for 20 years and I still do. Yeah. And so we're all a work in process. Like Paul says, we yes. haven't arrived to that perfection, to yes. that maturity. Yeah. And yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I love how you say it. you're like, I don't want it to make it seem like being Christians a drag totally. And, and what I try to tell people, especially people who knew me kind of what I call like BC before I became a Christian, um, <laughs> is I'm living a life and I'm not saying that life is easy now that I don't experience pain or suffering or hardships or anything like that. But the life that I'm walking in now that God called me to now when I 
put aside things that I had been, you know, desires I thought I had or, or ways of living that I thought were right because I was kind of, you know, quote unquote, like living my own truth and I was doing what I was going to do and I was going to have fun and I was going to, you know, live my best life and all those kinds of things. Like when I put those things aside, it created room for me to actually live my best life. And yes. there is not a day that I, that goes by that I don't, stand on my front porch and look out at my farm or look at my kids or look at my husband or see the friends that I've around, you know, that are around me or, or serving in my church where I just go, God, this is so much better than anything I could have ever planned for myself. Um, it's so much better and it's so much more, you know, there's so much more freedom and I'm, you know, and one of the things for me, and I, I love that you talked about this too. We, you mentioned it a while ago, is that it took years for you to really let go of the shame part, yes. um, and that was for me as well. I mean, it really was a solid, it was a solid ten years, maybe eleven years, um, into my faith journey where. I really, which I'm only coming up on 13. So it's like, it's not like this is very yeah. new. Um, you know, 10, 11, 12 years where I was really struggling very much with feelings of guilt and shame still. Um, and, and it was this, the, the way that I had kind of um, categorized it was I'd known God had forgiven me. I had known that other people in my life had had forgiven me for mistakes that I had made, but I had not forgiven myself and I couldn't forgive myself. And there were often times where I would find myself in this spiral thought pattern of just like shoulda, coulda, wouldas. And finally, one day I was, I was like somewhere in, I was doing my, you know, daily Bible reading and I was somewhere in Genesis, I think. And I think it was around the story of Joseph. And it was this this moment of God just lovingly saying, I'm the creator of the universe and I created you and I'm in charge of all of it and I have forgiven you. So if you can't forgive yourself, then that makes you think that you are holier and higher than me. <laughs> and so like, don't you love it when God does that? Yeah. And I'm sure he said it with really kind, really kind whisper in your heart like, when you're hey. like, Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yes. And it was the, it was this moment of just God lovingly and kind of, and, and I kind of hear, I, sometimes I hear God just being like, Hey, Hey, you over there. Like, are you, mm. <laughs> You know, because yeah. um, because God has a sense of humor and yes. him just kind of being like, mm, do you think that you're better than me? Do you think yes. that? And and it was in that moment where I had to really be like, oh, OK. And I'm not saying it's been perfect since then, but that was a moment where it was like this weight came off of my shoulders, this weight of shame, this weight of guilt came off of my shoulders. And it just felt like I no longer had an anvil on my chest. And yeah, so I, that's a slow process. And so I, I love hearing your story of that as well, is that that was something that you also really had to walk through. Yeah. The other thing too, that I had to learn is not only to learn to forgive myself, like, because that takes time, right? To, right. to extend that forgiveness in, in, in a way for me, when I was extending that forgiveness to myself, I was actually letting go of the pride I had of like, like I shouldn't have done that. Like I, mm. part of the reason I couldn't forgive myself is because I thought I was better than that. Yeah. 
right? That I was a good person. I thought I was better than that. How could I have done those things? And and I looked at myself and I thought I that was just dumb, right? However, it's it's almost not very kind to myself because I was forgetting how human and vulnerable I am, right? Yeah. And the reality is, even today, twenty years after I'm, you know, I've been walking with Jesus, I'm still capable of doing things that are wrong, right? And that that humility I didn't have before, you know, early in my stage of my journey. I didn't have that humility. I felt like I sh- I was better than that. I should have risen above that. Well, no, I'm I'm prone to sin. Yeah. And if I don't I don't walk with Jesus, I'm going to I'm going to fall to sin. So the other thing was shifting guilt and shame to grief. Mm. And I think sometimes we we fight our the grief with self-judgment. It feels stronger to criticize myself and to put myself down for what I've done. Then to grieve, oh man, the choices that I made hurt me, hurt others, and that's sad, mm-hmm. you know? And that is harder. None of us like to walk into grief. And so for me, I had to do both. I had to remember like you, wait, I am not perfect. I've never been perfect. And I will never be perfect until the day I'm standing before Jesus or he comes back. Amen. He, I'm a work in progress. But the other is like, you know, I did some things that hurt. They hurt me, hurt, and I, I need to grieve that. So mm. I now live in the sadness side, which is a, I, I am sad for the choices that I made. Um, I'm not sad all day, all the time. But, you know, there are many times when I think about it, when I was writing about it, where when I'm sharing, when I go and speak, where my, that sadness comes back in my heart thinking, man, oh, that's really unfortunate that this pain occurred. Yeah. This trauma occurred to me or to others. And and I let God then come and comfort me and comfort those around me who who have been hurt. It's a different way of living at that point. It's freedom. Maybe it's not all that fun when you're when you're sad, but at the same time, it's acknowledging that this is the consequence of sin. And that helps me not sin again. Right. 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 That helps me create new parameters. When my our husband and I get married. We realize, okay, we need new ways of thinking of how we engage with other people. So we never put our, or how we care about our marriage. So we don't put ourselves in a place where that is possible again, right? You have to, you have to change some behaviors when you recognize the pain that that causes. Well, I think this is kind of the perfect place to, to, transition a little bit to talk about your book, Uncharted. Mm-hmm. And so because I'd love to know, well, one, I just think it's it's such a, a needed book, especially for our current day and age where you th- hear terms like deconstructing and all those kinds of things that get said and, and thrown around a lot, where helping people understand that everybody's faith journey is going to be unique and going to be different. And there is no, you know, the Bible, we have the Bible, but even the Bible is not like one, just like straight path. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like there's, I mean, yes, it's, there's a, there's one way to Jesus, but it's everybody's path to Jesus is going to look very different. And how how we get there and how we go through that process of sanctification like we've been talking about and what finally brings us to our, our realization that we need a savior and all those kinds of things. So talk to us about the book and where did the, you know, the book come from and, and what is your hope and prayer for the book? 
Yeah. So as you, as I shared, I had the before and after life, right? Before Jesus, a total mess. I found Jesus. I found this great church and I want it now to live this wonderful life because that was my desire from the beginning. Right. What I didn't realize I was bringing into my faith an old formula, just like I had to change a whole bunch of behaviors. One of them had to do with my mindset because I believe like, well, if you follow Jesus and you do all the right things, you go to church, you're generous, you serve, blah, 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 then your life should work out in a certain way. Yep. Yep. And, you know, that's not even true. You know, what I, I wanted to know God's will. You know, I read those passages about if you know God's will, I, I wanted to know God's will so that I could have this sort of painless life, beautiful life, all kinds of things going perfectly. And what I learned was, no, It what I really see in the Bible is a lot of people who are walking with God in a very uncharted manner. You know, Joseph is a perfect example. God gives him a promise and it takes so many years and all these ups and downs before he gets to that promise and even looks even different than he thought it would. That's the same for pretty much every Bible character because that's God works with us in our lives very uniquely, each person. And it's a journey that is fraught with obstacles and it, there is struggle, just like there is in life. The difference is we're walking with Jesus and he helps us through it. Right. And he doesn't waste anything and he makes beautiful things out of a mess and he capitalizes on every experience and every relationship we have to glorify his name and to bring good into the world. So even though we might go through the same experiences that life brings, because we're walking with Jesus, the fruit is totally different. And so when I started to recognize that about my, you know, this book, I started writing 18 years ago, thinking I was going to write a book about discerning the will of God. Like I've got the formula, people, we, we got it figured out. And I was writing and like, I have no formula. This is my problem. I think I need a formula. And it ended up being turning into this book of let's walk with Jesus in our unique journey of faith with him and trust him with our lives, no matter what. Right. So it's a book about letting go of control. It's a book about um, releasing our comparison, you know, tendencies to compare our journey to somebody else. Even people hearing my testimony, well, oh my gosh, you have such a dramatic testimony. I was a Christian when I was two. I don't even remember saying yes to yeah. Jesus. Yeah. And they think that somehow that's not a good testimony. No, that's a great testimony. Yeah. You know, so every person's journey is beautiful. That's what I do on my podcast. I love to tell stories of people's journeys because every person's journey is unique and we see how God works in them. Yeah. So in my book, I talked about understanding God's desires for us, that he has really good desires for us. We don't have to control everything. He's given us all the certainty that we need, mm -hmm. his presence, his promises, his provision. I talk about that we are going to deal with obstacles and how to overcome them, how to overcome shame and our mistakes. I talk about how we we get a blessing when we're obedient to God, like you and I, right? The changes that we had to make right. on this journey of faith, that, that has created a blessing, right? For me, I know it has. I'm, I'm sure it has yes, for you as absolutely. well. When we say, okay, God, we're going to change my relationships. I'm going to make some changes and I'm going to trust you. And then lastly, that we flourish on this journey of faith when we thirst for more God, when we keep that kind of a heart posture. Because a, a lot of times I see this in Christians where they give their life to Jesus, they make changes, they, they endure through obstacles, but they don't live a, a thriving faith. They, they mm. live this sort of like, eh, I've been a Christian for whatever, and they just get into a routine. And that happens in every relationship, right? In marriage, 
in our friendships. We can have, we can get into a routine and we have to work towards that relationship. So to me, I use this concept of thirsting, thirsting for more than God, more of God, so that our relationship with him is vibrant and alive and active and changing every day. And therefore we're changing. Yeah. And so that's, that's how the book came out. Yeah. And I, I, there's no formulas in this book at all. It's like, Hey, we're all in this together. Yeah. We're all a work in progress. The only thing I offer as a practical application of the book is spiritual practices. Yeah. Because once again, if you're meet a person and you want to get married to them, you date them. If you're in marriage, you date your spouse, you do things with your spouse. If you have a friend, you go out to lunch, you call each other, you spend time together. And so spiritual practices are ways for us to spend time with God and deepen our relationship with him. And that's really the only formula, if I, if any, that I offer in the book is grow into a deeper relationship with God. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that you, you really talk about in the book that faith is mysterious and it's yes. not supposed to be this, there's not supposed to be certainties. Um, this journey has no certainties. And yet that is really difficult for our human minds to, <laughs> you know, come around. And, um, and I love, I love having faith conversations with my kids because my kids always end up having questions. And I'm like, that's a really great question. Um, and I, you know, I don't know. And, you know, maybe we can find out together. And so my, that. you know, especially my daughter will have like, my nine-year-old daughter has like this very, she's very spiritually mature for nine and asks questions. And I'm like, mm, that's a question that I don't even think adults would ask. Um, and it's a great <laughs> I love question. that. Oh, it's so good. But it, and she challenges me sometimes where she'll ask a question. I'm like, I don't know. Like, let's open the Bible and let's see what God says about it. And sometimes there's no answer. And it's just like, yeah. I, you know, I don't know, honey. Um, like we were having like the other night, she goes, okay, mom. So when someone is baptized, I know that the Holy Spirit is there at the baptism. But does that mean that God and Jesus are or the God, the father and Jesus are also being baptized at the same time. And I'm just like, okay, this is one of those Trinity oh. questions that I'm like, ah, uh, I don't know. Like, I don't know. And she's like, cause God and Jesus or the Holy spirit are all the same thing. And I'm like, you're right. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> so I'm like, but just sometimes I love the freedom to just be like, that's a great question. Yeah. I have no idea. And I think we're not supposed to know on this side of, of, of heaven. And um, so I love that you also talk about, you give people the freedom to understand that there are no certainties in this journey. Mm. And, um, but I say all that to then ask, why can that need for certainty and need for control be so damaging in people's walk with Jesus? And I think in a lot of ways that has this is not a conversation about deconstructing, but I think that in some ways that has been a big catalyst for the deconstructing movement because we live in a day and age of we can Google everything. We can go to chat GPT and translate a sermon mm. into Spanish <laughs> and we can search a thesaurus and we can search, you know, all these things or we can, you know, go on a map and we can we can be quote unquote like certain about a lot of things. And so we live in a day and age of certainty 
And so when there are uncertainties or things that are a mystery, that can really damage our walk with Jesus because that's not what Jesus intended. So can you kind of talk about that and unpack that a little bit? Yes, that's so good. First of all, I want to affirm you for being so wonderful with your daughter as she asks <laughs> questions. That is so beautiful because, um, you know, one of my chapters is about asking questions. And, the, you know, the whole thing with many of the people, I, I know quite a few people who have gone through a deconstruction process, and I've read some books. And a lot of times it, it starts with questions and or questions that are unmet or or met with judgment um and or the wrong response a response that's that's critical mm-hmm. or a sense of like oh what's wrong with you why, right. why are you asking that question right and so i have a whole chapter in that questions are essential that god asks questions that god cares about us asking questions he's not offended by any questions that we ask amen at all at all and so that's beautiful this whole idea of certainty really in our hearts, our our search for certainty. When I go to Google and I search for something, I want something that I can go use and move on. It's going to work because I want it to work. And it, it gives me a sense of empowerment and control. It's good for many things. However, it's not good for our journey of faith because the more certain we become about the journey of faith on our own power, the less we're living in God's power, the less right. we're living in God's mind and the way he thinks. So the very first thing I do in the book is I talk about our desire for certainty. It, you know, it's driven by fear, you know, a lack of, we don't want to be vulnerable, but also a desire for control, a desire mm-hmm. to have an outcome be what we want. And while it might work for a point, it's not going to work fully for the vibrant life that Jesus has for us. Right. We're going we're gonna to miss out and the bigger desires that God has for us. Some of our formulas are negative. For example, I had the formula for a long time. God can't use a woman like me. Mm. With my story and my past, there's no way God will use me. You know, I felt like God, I was feeling called to teach and write. That makes no sense. I just started reading the Bible. I was like, no, God can never use someone like me. Sometimes our formulas are like that. And I felt so certain about that. And I was deeply wrong. And so, because God has a better desire than what I could desire. So yes, in my book, I try to break down this idea of seeking for certainty that is of this world is always going to fall short of the greater desires that God has for us. Jesus said, I came to give you a life to the fullest. And so we can say, I, I love the certainties I have in this life. I like that I have a safe home, et cetera. But hey, God, you're an adventure with you is much greater than anything of this world. Remember, Paul said, I consider it all dung, you know, right? As good as it is, I, it's not even close to what God has for us. So that's what we miss out on when we hold for control, when we hold for certainty, we miss out on the greater thing that God has for us. I would have never imagined in a million years, 20 years ago, that I would be talking to you, you're somebody I've never met, right? We now are, we're buddies because we're going to talk more. Yes, right? exactly. And that, and that I would have written a book that I would be teaching. I would have never created this path for myself with all of whatever brilliance I have, not a chance, Yeah, but God. So who knows what God has in mind in your life, in the lives of those listening, if they would just trust God with a certainty instead of creating our own. Mm. And especially for those who are deconstructing or struggling with their faith, the idea that, oh, what 
some people might say to them is like, oh, you've lost your faith, or maybe they even use that language themselves. I've lost my faith. No, you're on a faith journey still. Mm -hmm. We're always all on a faith journey with God. Right. It's like, a, I have a friend who uses it like a well. We're all surrounding this well, maybe in different places. We're standing further apart or close to each other or close to the well or far from the well. We're always on the journey of faith and God walks with us there as well. So even if we feel like I can't connect to my church anymore, I can't connect to the church community, I'm having trouble reading scripture. I can't even worship, but like the worship feels empty to me. But you're thinking about God, you're, pr you're processing those thoughts, you are still on a journey of faith, and God is working there as well. Amen. Amen. Oh, my goodness, Ines, this has been such a powerful, I knew this was going to be a good conversation. Um, but I like you, I, we are buddies, we are friends now. Yes. Um, and now I want to come out to California, you should come out to North yeah. Carolina, we'll hang out, yes. it's going to be a whole thing. Um, I really <laughs> am just so inspired by you. And encouraged and challenged. And I really know that for every single person that picks up this book, they will be as well. Um, thank oh, you for thank you. your vulnerability and putting this out there because I know uh, that this is not easy. <laughs> this is a, a real labor of love, but um, your obedience um, to what God called you to is um, is just amazing. Um, well, as we, I wish I could have you on for another hour, but um, as we <laughs> wrap up, what do you want to leave people with? How can people connect with you? And I know that you have your own podcast, which I love. So talk to and us you're about going those to be things. on. Yes, yes, soon. yes, <laughs> it's gonna be awesome. Well, so you know, in my book, I share my testimony. So you, you, it's a combination of my story, a little bit memoir-like stories of other people, stories of the Bible, the spiritual practices, and and all the teaching that I, the things that I learned, and so. Obviously, getting the book is a, a great way to get to connect with me. You can get it on Amazon or find it on my website at inezfranklin.com. And we can connect and stay connected through social media. I've gotten to meet so many wonderful people um, through this whole process of this book being out. Uh, people that I would, would have never met again and seeing how God can work, you know, even through social media to connect yeah. us from far distance from one another. So yeah. I, I would love to connect with your listeners in any way pray for you, support you in your journey of faith, et cetera. Talk about writing. Yeah. Like, you and I didn't get to talk about the writing process. I know. So make sure we do that. So we need to have a whole other podcast episode just about that. <laughs> it's a whole journey there. Um, but yeah, so I hope to connect, stay connected with you in some way. And if there's anything I didn't answer, you know, feel free to reach out to hello at inesfranklin.com. Oh, you are wonderful. Thank you, Ines. Thank you for being here. And thank you for being my new friend. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. Thank you, Molly. I hope you loved this conversation with Ines. I would love for you to share your thoughts or something that you learned on social media. You can find me at Can I Laugh Pod or at Still Being Molly, wherever you get your social medias. Find Ines on social media. Tell her how much you loved this conversation. And would you head on over to whatever podcast app you like to listen to this on? And would you click subscribe or follow or leave a review? This really does help me to know what you're liking and how the show is impacting you. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for your support. Thank you to the team at Third Wheel Media for producing the show. And for you, I hope something this week makes you laugh till you cry. We'll see you next week. Bye.